0: You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Carbon Removal Happy Hour. My name is Asa Kamer. I'm the producer of our sister podcast, Carbon Removal Newsroom. And our normal host, Ross Kenyon, isn't with us this week, so it's a slightly reduced happy hour, but it will still be happy and will still be good. (laughs) And joining me is our other regular co-host participant, Siobhan Montoya-Lavender. Hi, Siobhan.
0: Hello, everybody. Sorry, Ross isn't here. Ace is completely right. The happiness will be reduced, but we're going to try and keep it up for you.
1: We'll do our best. And I didn't have an intro for you, but do you want to give a quick bio? Hey guys,
0: I'm Siobhan. That'll do it. No, um, I'm Siobhan Montoya Lavender. I am the co-founder at Thanks a ton, and I help out with the meme and humorous content here at Nori.
1: Yes, you're involved in multiple carbon removal projects, so you're the right person to talk about this topic. And we were thinking today, what we would talk a little bit about is what brought us into carbon removal. And some suggestions we may have for those who are interested in working in the field or getting involved.
0: Yes, I love it. I think there's just been a plethora of people kind of coming into carbon removal in the last year or so, the last six months even. And, you know, we don't have all the answers, but we must have some. And so let's give the people what they want and some some ideas about how to how to have a career in carbon removal.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it with you because I feel like you are one of these very connected people and knows a lot of people in the field, and you probably have a lot of good ideas. Well, wow, so, I love that
0: I give off that vibe. You do. <laughs> I don't know how true it is, but I like that the vibe's there.
1: <laughs> all right, good. Well, well, we'll see how it goes. So just to start us off, do you want to talk about what brought you into carbon removal?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, freakiness is that Asa and I went to the same undergraduate university. And I didn't know him there. I don't know if I like probably did know you or like I knew you in passing. I don't know. But we went to the same um, college in Southern California. And I don't know about you, but like I was, it's pretty uncommon to declare your major early on in liberal arts, right? So liberal arts, most people are declaring junior, possibly even senior year. You know, you're supposed to kind of explore and figure out your niche and everything. I came in freshman year and was like, I need a new advisor. I'm going to be an environmental major. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Came in pretty hot for that. So, yeah, I think like working in climate was probably always going to be my trajectory, but we didn't call it working in climate back in, you know, 2006 when when I started undergrad. How about you?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, Pitzer College, let's give a shout out. Go say Chen's. Yes, indeed. I the the
0: wimpiest mascot of all time. (laughs) It's, by the way, guys we'll put in the show notes. It's like a desert bird. It's actually really cool and beautiful, but is it something that would intimidate your sporting competitors? I'm I'm going to go ahead and say no.
1: I, it's funny you say that. I uh, took a more winding road to pick my major because I was so like excited in college to just take all these different classes and different subjects, and I didn't want to have to pick. And I was actually going to make my own major so that I could just keep taking all the different classes, but then realized that was maybe not a good idea for various reasons, and the environmental studies department at Pitzer and Pomona, which I think was somehow combined. I don't remember, but there was some connection. Yeah. Was very good. And that was what I was always most interested in as well, was the environmental studies and some of the different aspects of that. And yeah, I, I also remember the way that climate conversations were very much part of the curriculum at that time. But at the same time, very different than I'm sure they are now in academia, just because there was a lot less, I would say progress within society to address climate change. There was a whole different trajectory in terms of like the energy supply of our world population projections are different. The Paris agreement hadn't happened. I mean, I remember being like in class when we found out about like the Copenhagen agreements, like not working or not coming together for an agreement in like 2010. And then just like, that was so much more the vibe, I think. Yeah. And I remember I had a class at Keck at the sort of joint science department of some of the different colleges that are connected there. And there was a a class, which is actually super educational, where we would review different literature that was coming out related to climate change. And our professor was very interested in climate change, but was also more on the side of like trying to encourage us to think that it was something that would affect civilization on the timeline of like 100 years rather than like yeah. imminently. And at the time, kind of bristling against that, but he was like the super smart academic guy. And so I had no way to like disagree but but anyway yeah so it's just such a very different very different uh scenario and there was the only thing related to like carbon removal as it were that i can remember would be like soil carbon sequestration was something that existed yeah so and there being some i think one or two classes having some curriculum that touched on that including a class on like i don't remember what it's called like ecological agriculture i think it was called and, yeah and kind of going into the science of that which was very you know I wasn't didn't really grow up in an agricultural community so that was very enlightening for me but anyway yeah I think it was definitely a great um jumping off point that kind of environmental education
0: yeah I think if you can get some and I as you point out I'm sure the curriculum is pretty different these days not just at Pitzer but at, at any liberal arts college around environmental studies around climate around climate science so if you you know if you're uh a college age student, listen to this and have the opportunity to take those classes if you're even remotely interested in climate. And maybe you're not gonna, maybe you find your strength is like marketing or something. And God knows we need lots of marketers in climate. We need lots of, you know, civil engineers in climate. We need lots of all sorts of different skills. So I definitely don't think you need to pigeonhole yourself and say, well, I'm gonna study, you know, geology because I want to work in climate or something. No, you can study what you're called to, what you're good at. But if you are interested in climate and have the opportunity to take a climate class, I highly recommend it just to have that kind of background that can kind of influence and inform decisions in the other academic genres you want to pursue, like marketing or civil engineering or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. I mean, another side of that is I think most people are very aware of climate change, but it's also such a complex topic. And I think the way it gets covered in mainstream media and just different conversations, you get a very surface level understanding of it and it can be hard to kind of parse it out. And so giving yourself a little bit of basis of like the science and some of the the foundational elements of like what's going on and what some of the headlines mean. Yeah, exactly. That's, Probably yeah. really helpful because otherwise it's well. Even even so, it's very confusing. No matter what, it's very <laughs> very complica- uh, complex. But you know, give yourself give yourself a little leg up and
0: give, it, give a foundation. I feel like that's a very liberal arts answer of us. We're good liberal arts students.
1: Yeah, we are really are like,
0: get some basic foundation in all these different genres. <laughs>
1: they really brainwashed us, didn't they?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, but I think it's good. I think it's good advice um, for for college kids out there. Um, also, I feel like for me personally, getting into climate and carbon work, my internship was really pivotal. I interned my senior year in the Inland Empire at the California Wilderness Coalition, a terrific NGO that was doing different kind of preservation work. And I interned with them my senior year. One of the professors at Pitzer hooked it up, and man, that was like all I was asked about in my first job interview
1: mm.
0: was like all this stuff, and it was. Thankfully, I had lots of answers. I was like, well, did you use, you know, a stormwater pollution prevention plan when you were looking at implementing this project in the desert and on this BLM land and stuff? And yeah, I think the internship was really pivotal for me. So I highly recommend internships. I know they can be controversial, like some people would say the opposite. But in my specific case, I'm glad I interned my senior year. Did you ever do an internship?
1: I did. I did. I did a program called the Ontario program. Which Mm -hmm. was through Pitzer, where they basically had this idea of, you know, why not have people like, quote unquote, study abroad and other communities within, like, it was basically the next town over. And so we had internship opportunities through that. And I recall that there was a Native American tribe that had their headquarters, like in Pomona, which is the next town over. And so I had, I really want to put it in quotes, a quote unquote internship where I went there and really they were just like kind of happy to have us. And then we just like hung out with some of the people who ran the office there and did very little work and contributed virtually nothing to their efforts. Mm-hmm. And we kept, I would show up and be like, how can I like help you? And they're like, I don't know, we really need your, your help, but like if for your education, you want to come hang out with us. And so. Yeah, we, that's everybody. also
0: a very Pitzer thing. Yeah. I remember when I, I did study abroad, I studied abroad in Botswana in Southern Africa and I remember the only like training I had before going, like orientation, they were like, you are not there to do shit. Like you are not mm-hmm. there to help. You can't help.
1: Mm-hmm. There's nothing,
0: there's no greater knowledge that you have. Like you are just there to like be quiet and respectful and learn. And that was kind of what was drilled into us. And I think it it panned out. Like I don't think I think I got like 99% out of that relationship. And they probably got like one percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So, since college, were there any steps or any things that brought you towards carbon removal? Was there a talk you saw, or uh, something you read, or some inspiring? Ooh, good books?
0: question, what? good question. Well, I was working so right out of college. First of all, you and I graduated during the Great Recession.
1: That's right. Um, it, was, it was great, wasn't it?
0: It was pretty great, man. It was so great. <laughs> a great recession. <laughs> um, it was I think it was like traumatizing man. I look it back was. and I think about it's like I was so grateful to have that job, right? Like mm-hmm. I got a job within 2 months of graduating or something at this private consulting firm to do environmental work, to do to write environmental impact statements, to do environmental monitoring and reporting, to do inspections for major utility projects mostly. And I was just so thankful to have that job. And so many of my friends were unemployed and, you know, living at home and whatnot, that I feel like I never, I never negotiated my salary. I never pushed back on any of my responsibilities. I never pushed back on anything really. I was just like, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad I have this job. And so in retrospect, I feel like I could have, I could have milked that a lot more and I could have really carved out a better role for myself and I could have. It would have been better for both me and the company if I had been a little more assertive. But I think there was just like the trauma of so many unemployed friends. And, you know, my, my folks are public school teachers. So it wasn't really like I had a lot of family money to fall back on.
1: <laughs> well, hindsight I, is 20.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I got right into environmental work, which was great, though, because talk about learning, you know, via doing. Working on really cool projects with amazing biologists and ecologists. Um, permitting specialists and I really got to get my hand in all sorts of projects. So that's, I guess, a recommendation I have. Like if you, if you can get into kind of a position that's more of a jack of all trades position early on, I feel like that was pretty awesome because I really did get exposed to the difference between doing ecology surveys versus doing permitting and, and whatnot. So that definitely kept me in like introduced me slash kept me in environmental work. And then I didn't really get bitten by the carbon bug until graduate school. So I was working at this company and knew I wanted to kind of open my opportunities. And most people in the environmental consulting field have at least a master's degree, right? That's very common. And so I was like, okay, I should probably get a master's degree. And so I went to SF State. I was still working about 75% time so I could pay for it. And then went on, you know, I I scheduled my classes, they were all like one or two days a week, and studied microclimatology in the Department of Geography, and focused on carbon flux measurements over microclimate ecosystems. And man, that was just so cool. (laughs) And I got so excited about carbon. And so I feel like that's kind of when I really understood the importance of, of measuring and accounting for carbon and like, you know, I'd always kind of known that we talked, you know, certainly talked about parts per million before that. And in undergrad, I'm sure that came up or that was there was an awareness around that. Certainly an inconvenient truth had come out and, you know, there was some awareness, but I think it wasn't until grad school that I really got excited about it. How about you? Was there like a great book or a great movie or something that you would recommend?
1: Oh man, definitely. Yes. A list probably. I think for me, after college, I wasn't working in any sort of environmental field for years, but remained interested in climate change and environmental issues. And I think just curiosity brought me into it, like learning about the different, there's so many different facets of the fight against climate change and how we'll adapt to climate change. And, you know, it's sort of a, a massive field, right? And kind of bouncing around, reading different things, just trying to wrap my head around such a big, you know frankly scary situation that was obviously going to affect me and affect everyone i know and affect everyone around the world and just kind of like well what's going on here and that brought me you know at some point i got into this idea of removing co2 from the atmosphere as like an additional component to decarbonization and found that really interesting and then i think also just trying to understand what the world will be like you know in our climate future because i feel like so much of the discussion around climate change is about these pathways right like if we do this then it'll be like this if we do this then it'll be like this and they're all sort of you know they exist on a spreadsheet they're somewhat i don't want to say arbitrary but they're constructs you know to represent different choices that policymakers have but they don't really tell you as just like a layperson, which i was you know lay person trying to educate themselves like what's it actually going to be like like what is the future going to be like which of course we don't really know but maybe could we project a little bit, or could we have some understanding of like, where are we headed here? What's going to be going on? And, you know, learning about the climate scenarios and, you know, these climate uh, agreements of like, we're going to be at 1.5, we're going to be at 2 degrees, etc. And realizing that the math that they made it work to plan out how we would reduce our emissions such that we only have a certain level of warming, they often use negative emissions technologies Uh and being like huh like that's interesting like how are we going to do how are we going to do that and they're still doing that and it's you know obviously there's some some i would say controversy in the you know that's that's something people can debate about you know how models are now that's not really what i'm trying to say here i'm just trying to say that that kind of opened my eyes to the idea of like oh this might be something that's going to exist on a large scale in the future
0: Yeah. I like the curiosity in this story. You really like, I like how this is kind of like innate curiosity led you into this and like thinking about what the, because I think that's very relatable. I think a lot of people that are looking at the news and hearing stories about climate change and wanting to get involved are trying to think like, what is the world going to look like? What do all these climate models mean? Like, I think that's that's true for a lot of people.
1: Totally. And like not to get too far afield here with my various theories and (laughs) beliefs, but you know far afield. Go for it. (laughs) It's easy to get it's easy to get into like apocalyptic narratives where it's like, if this happens, then like it's all over. If this happens, then civilization is gonna collapse. Like, you know, those ways of looking at like environmental problems, looking at overpopulation and looking at climate change, I think are really compelling and really like grab the mind and make people Pay attention to them yeah. and you know in some cases there maybe we, sh- we should consider that possibility like there was a time like when i when we were in college when you know the world was like building a huge amount of new coal plants and it was like wow we really could like kill everyone with climate change like damn now like maybe that's less likely although obviously like horrible catastrophic things are still very much on the table so i don't want to downplay that but just to say noticing that myself i would get very you know i could potentially get drawn into thinking like that. But that doesn't really give you information to just be like, there's this cliff, and we're gonna go off this cliff. And then who knows, it's just darkness. And like, that's not really yeah, yeah. how it's gonna play out, right? Like, that's, you know, that we're gonna hit some threshold, and then the next day will come. And, you know, it's gonna be really bad. Like, again, I don't want to downplay it, but life will go on, and civilization will continue in some form. And we're gonna have to, you know, I don't know. So so just trying to understand it rather as like a rather than like a black and white, more of like a, for our listeners, This path. is what
0: this is what happens when you work on climate, you become yeah. like, involuntarily optimistic or not even I don't want to even say it's optimism. It's just like when you work on climate solutions all day, every day, you tend to get in his mindset of like, okay, we're gonna solve it, like, we're gonna fix it. You know, I think that's one of the real beauties of working in any environmental field. And I, I said this even before I worked like directly in climate. I mean, I, I guess all environmental stuff's relatively in climate, you know? But I felt like at the end of the day, working for this environmental consulting firm, I was like, okay, like I can put my stamp on the day. Like I did my part. I, I feel good about my contributions. The world is, is slightly better in this one minute way because it's yeah. because something I did today, a decision I made today. Um, and so I feel like that's, man, that's really like the glory of working in, in this stuff. The downside though, is you do have, I think of a lot about that, like, um, you've seen, what's that Alex Honnold movie? that won the Oscar free solo, free solo. So good. Such a great film.
1: Great movie.
0: Such great cinema, as you would say.
1: It was great cinema. I highly recommend it.
0: (laughs) Such great cinema. And he talks about like, there's this guy who's being interviewed and he says, you know, for people who don't know a lot about rock climbing, they see what Alex is doing. They're like, okay, I guess he's got it. You know? And for people who really know a lot about (laughs) free soloing, they see what he's doing. And they're like, this is effing insane. And I think there is some truth to that. And when you work in climate too, like mostly I feel energized, mostly I feel optimistic, but sometimes, you know, you're just privy to data sets and you're spending a lot of time looking at, at information and you're like, shit, the scale of the problem is so big. Mm -hmm. Or you're like, damn it. Why does every solution have like nine caveats and like 20 (laughs) hurdles to overcome? And you know, I think there's, I think it goes both ways. Maybe I'm just like, maybe that's my own internal struggle of like being my own Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is like, I'm like, it's going to be perfect. We can do this. And then I'm like, shit, the scale of the problem.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I totally relate to that.
0: Would you say that there were any like errors in judgment that you wish you could go back and, and change in terms of like getting into climate and choosing your climate career?
1: Errors in judgment. I mean, I think I actually did out of college, get a little burnt out on it and didn't work in the climate field for years. And I was actually working in mental health, which I think is sort of interesting. Like there's, you know, looking back and kind of analyzing my decisions, like in retrospect, you know, mental health has also a component of wanting to help people, wanting to support people. There's also like a crisis response type of element to it. But it's more direct, or at least theoretically, it's more direct, like working directly with people rather than working with big systems and government and science and all these things. So um, I think I really liked that for some time, like working directly with people and, you know, talking about their situation, their lives, like what they were going through and just kind of hashing it out and listening. And there's just like a different type of connecting to the problems that people have that way versus working in climate But it's kind of interesting that I've since like kind of come back around to being focused on environmental issues professionally, like since being in college. So I think it was maybe that maybe I was always going to end up there, but I had to kind of detach a little bit from it out of college. I think for a variety of reasons, like one, it is, it can be very overwhelming and, you know, emotional to like be so connected to it. Like there's just a burnout factor. Yeah. But I also think I was maybe trying to... I don't I don't know like exactly how to put this but there was there is just sort of a yeah I don't know I guess there wasn't I didn't there wasn't the right foothold for me to work in it that I that I found so it just took some time for me to like learn more find what I was really interested in
0: yeah that's yeah. a good lesson too is like there's not necessarily like a direct line from like academia straight to climate you know like that's not always the case for everybody and And as we've seen, is there so many people from tech, from different sectors that are like migrating into climate these days. Um, Not enough. We need more. Migrate on over. If you need help, there's lots of resources.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would also say there's it it is a field that's growing so fast that it's a bit of a a wild west where, you you know, it's not like there's it's really established. You know institution or field where it's like to to get this position you have to have that have these credentials and this degree you know something like that like there's bring your skill set bring your interest and like talk to a lot of people and you can probably find a place to plug in in this like rapidly growing rapidly changing sector be it in a startup be it in a like a large existing company be it in government or you know,
0: absolutely I mean
1: you know the, the or in science and academia and education possible. Yeah,
0: let's let's shout out some of those like networks and resources. What would you say are like the most valuable value add resources within climate and climate communities that you've used to kind of help pave your career path?
1: Well, for carbon removal specifically, I, there's kind of three things that come to mind. One would be, The Air Miners Network, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people listening to this, you're now a few minutes into our carbon removal happy hour. You're you're into you know you're a carbon removal nerd like we are. You probably know about it, but just to speak to my experience, that was really helpful. Just to have a central place where a lot of people were working on it, were kind of communicating, sharing resources, and also because it was a Slack setup, it was really easy to like DM people and ask questions. And I really found that most people responded and were kind of like enthusiastic and like wanted to help people along and wanted to answer questions. And I think that air miners was kind of key to me, like getting a bit of an understanding of the landscape, both in terms of what companies are out there, but also like just the landscape of like sort of known possible carbon removal methodologies, like what's out there. Because there are many and they, they all have their own issues, like you were saying, but that was kind of like an early education And then another thing I did, the second thing was uh, we did like a on air Miners, I arranged with a couple of people to do like a study group based on every podcast. We got a shout out John Sanchez uh, (laughs) about his uh, carbon removal academy. I feel like we've talked about this multiple times, but basically we had a we had a zoom during the pandemic, like a zoom cohort. And we would meet, I think, every other week and talk about like a different chapter in his curriculum about carbon removal. And that was another level up for me, just going to, like, hear all these other people learning about it. I would say most people who were doing it were kind of in, like, maybe this second year of college, so to speak, of, like, learning about it. Not, like, necessarily 101, but still had a lot of questions, basic questions. People were starting to, like, maybe dive into their own areas of interest, like, subsets. And I think just having the opportunity to have, like, discussion group, talk to people, get other people's kind of perspective on the complexities of it all. That yeah. would, really, really helpful and uh, may be the reason I'm like still paying attention to carbon removal. Like that's probably one of the reasons just, I mean, doing yeah. some other people is, you know, it's good. That, that.
0: Agree. Agree a hundred percent. And I think that, I mean, I also did the carbon removal Academy, which has since become boot up, which we should link to in the show notes. So if you're listening to this nice. and you want to get into carbon removal, it's now air miners boot up and it's like a whole course that you can do with a cohort. So that's a great opportunity. And it's really like, like as you say, I think it's all levels. I think you, know, you can come in at any level of your learning and, and find information that's going to propel you and it'd be helpful. So yeah, I think that's a great resource. Um, Airminers in general, yeah. phenomenal.
1: Yes. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead.
0: No, just Airminers has been great. I joined Airminers because the head of Airminers, Tito Jankowski, recommended it. Thank you, Tito.
1: Yes. Um,
0: yeah, he's terrific. I've known him for a lot of years. And he recommended joining. I'm so glad I did. So that's you know, really for carbon removal and CCS and people who are really interested in carbon specifically. If you want to get into reversing climate change um, and not necessarily through carbon removal, I would also definitely recommend work on climate, which is a Slack community. They host events, different opportunities to get involved. And really, I feel like you you get out what you put in there. You know, like I, I was working on a pitch deck and somebody was like, hey. I'm gonna start like a pitch deck party and we're gonna like meet over Zoom and like review each other's pitch decks. And so I jumped into that group and and I'm still connected to those people. And I think there's just lots of great opportunities to get involved there. Um, so work on climate's a great option. Also, if you want to just get some, maybe you, maybe you didn't take, you know, the environmental class in undergrad. And so you're really feeling like you're starting from a deficit. A great option would be Terra.do, which has like kind of environmental coursework that you can take it at any age and any stage of life. So Terra. Do is also a place I would certainly recommend.
1: Everything we've mentioned so far is free, which is just like, by the way, amazing that all these things are just like free and available. That's awesome. Another thing that really didn't exist in the same way when we were in college, or maybe yeah. it did, but not in the same way. But so the Terra. Do that's more of like akin to like a university course. And I think there is a cost associated with that one.
0: Correct. Yeah, that's, that one will you'll have like a similar cohort, but it will, there will be a cost. There's various options and signing skills and whatnot. I haven't actually taken a course in them myself, but I, a lot of people I know have and, and have had a lot of success. And out of that, I did the Terra Studio, which is like their mini kind of accelerator program, like a builder program. And that was really great and supportive and helpful. Um, and that was free. And so I think those are some great options. I think if you are kind of a volunteer and activist and you really want to get um, involved in your local community, Open Air Collective. Man, they are like hitting the ground running, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm part of Open Air Collective. Um, I should volunteer more of my time than I do.
1: really should.
0: Um, <laughs> this should be our, our self, self-flagellation. Not...
1: Instead yes. of this. <laughs> uh,
0: well, we're shouting them out at least. Check out Open Air. Um, you know, they are really great at, you know, kind of getting bills passed, um, local movements, local legislation, doing really good work there. So that's another place you can get involved.
1: Yes, I also had them on my list. So, for me like Air Miners was huge for like learning the landscape and networking and I think it's especially it's for anyone who's interested, but I think if you're into the idea of start of creating a startup in carbon removal or joining one, that's a great place to a little one-stop shop to do that and there's a lot of people working on, you know, that kind of thing. So, join that out of interest, but that's like their speciality from what I can tell for open air, also join that their speciality, as you said, Siobhan is like, if you want to start working on a project right away in carbon removal today, like that's a great place to go do that. And it's like this very interesting, you know, concept where it's a it's a volunteer network, and it's people all around the world. And they're all kind of like, teaming up on discord, to do these kind of decentralized projects under the header of like, carbon removal. But the folks there are just tremendously encouraging and will help you get linked up and like get working on either like building your own DAC device. Like there's people working on that. There's people working on, like you're saying, Siobhan, legislative advocacy. Um, There's folks working on education on CDR. And just by the by, they're like, this is CDR youtube channel if you go to their youtube channel they have this like series of talks. fantastic it's like basically a free graduate degree in carbon removal like seriously it's it's really exceptional and like they just kind of keep turning them out on youtube and they're they're really good they just have amazing guests and get into like a really great level of depth but also keep it accessible to you know an interested lay person
0: yeah, those are the like I actually watch those if I don't attend them live. You know how like right. you sign up for like 100 yes. webinars and you're like, oh, I'm going to attend this webinar and then you don't. And you're like, but that's okay because I'm going to watch it later when it comes out and you never do. You don't. Right. <laughs> well, I do end up watching the open air ones because they're that good.
1: They really are. They're amazing. And they get people who are like really like the ones working on the projects that will decide if we are able to do large-scale carbon removal and talk to them about where they're at and what's going on and it's just an amazing level of info i mean you got to be a carbon removal nerd like us but if you are like you know you don't have to be i just mean like if you if you if you find if you (laughs)
0: kind of do to enjoy it (laughs) (laughs) if you
1: make it all the way to their youtube channel you already are but like it's just (laughs) good stuff so definitely shout out to them but you could also like work on those kind of projects behind the scene like put them up and you know arrange it so i would highly, highly recommend that group as well for just like a great, that's a great education. And for me, like I was doing some projects with them, met some good people there, was just very encouraged. Like, I just have to say, like, there's just something about like the encouragement that I think helps kind of cement you, Ooh, open air pun,
0: cement
1: you in, um, in a field or in a certain direction, like learning about something, just to have it be real. You know, it's not just behind you behind a screen reading about something. It's like, you're working on something. Um, yeah,
0: you have a community to work with too. I, you've nerds. inspired me. By the way, I'm going to do a live meme pitch now. Yes. I think we should do. I think we should do a series of memes on, like you know you are a carbon nerd when kind of thing. Yeah. It could be like, are you already watching Opener on YouTube? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, we need to just like praise them more with just like amazing memes.
0: Yeah, I know. I don't think we've I don't think we've done any that are like targeted them. This is a new mission now. We've got to we've got to target them with some means.
1: Yeah. But they're actually I mean, just to like give one more minute of praise to them, like (laughs) they are like working on legislative advocacy for like their first project was like low carbon cement, which is obviously a big emitting sector that needs to be decarbonized quickly. And they're working on like state level advocacy to do that one of the, probably the biggest volunteer group doing that. I think there's probably other environmental groups that work on that issue in, in state houses. But the biggest, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know, one of the bigger volunteer groups. So I think that's really cool. Now they're working on an even broader kind of concept of getting governments to procure carbon removal at like a large scale yeah. um, in a way that would A, set up good uh, guardrails for an industry, make mm-hmm. it well regulated, but also make it like big and quickly. And they're just like out there doing it, talking to legislators, working together with like a lot of people figuring out how to, you know, push the government to work on this. And it's really impressive. So
0: I think an overall message here is like jump in, you know, I feel like, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, we all need to make money, but you might not find paying job right away in climate or in carbon removal. You might. But I also think there's just a space for, you know, if you have time in the evenings, if you have a little time on the weekends, like find some time to just volunteer and get involved. Because that, that network and those connections and that experience is going to be so helpful and so valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many like tiny CDR startups that need help. You know, I'm, I'm always impressed. I see this in air miners. I see this in work on climate. But I'm always impressed with how supportive of builders, the climate community in general as a whole is. You know, If you put out a specific ask like, hey, I need somebody to review my business model. You'll get like 10 replies, probably. I just think it's a really supportive community. And so, you know, getting involved and being one of those 10 people that responds, like, hey, I've reviewed multiple business models and, you know, I have a half an hour and I can do this. I think that's a really great jumping off point. And I'm certainly super grateful to everybody, so many people who have just jumped in and said, how can I help? Thanks a ton, succeed. You know, do you need advice on XYZ topics? Or if I ask for something specific, I'm always, just really touched by how many people reach out to help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, I wrote down, you said jump in. I wrote down, the water's warm. So, water's as warm. in jump in. So, I think we're the water's
0: the warm. We need more ocean alkalinity. We need to cool the water. But
1: yes, another unintentional <laughs> pun. But I meant, like, get in there. And with so much money, so much funding flowing into this field, only more to come broadly for climate via the new, well, in the US anyway via the new climate bill, going to spur so much, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of investment probably. So you, we all, like you said, we all need to pay rent, but that's not going to, I mean, there's there's a lot of paying, jo- there's a lot of open positions uh, in carbon removal, in climate, and maybe there's an interim where you have to volunteer or network or do all those things we all have to do in this day and age to get jobs but um but there
0: are lots of jobs and as we were talking about before like no. it's not science specific anymore i don't think like yes there's tons of chemical engineer jobs that are deeply needed right. um so if you're if you're a chemical engineer congratulations you're already working in climate but also you know there's sales jobs there's marketing jobs there's administrative jobs there's you know uh, procurement jobs there's lots of skills that translate to this industry And that are deeply needed because I think so many people who come to this industry are coming from like a science background. And so there's a real gap to be filled by a lot of the other skills that need to flesh out an industry. This is going to be a huge industry. So it needs everybody.
1: Yeah, totally agree with that. Endorse everything you said. I hate to like bury, I'll put this in the show notes. Another great resource is our podcasting colleague, Naeem Merchant, who's regularly on our other sister podcast, carbon removal newsroom through his Twitter. And also I think on his blog on his Substack, you can find a regular posts about jobs that are available in carbon removal. And I think he does like 10 at a time. And though I'm not looking, it's just so encouraging to see because it, I don't know, just the idea that there were like, I don't think there were 10 open positions in carbon removal period when I like started learning about this field, like not that long ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, right. So now the fact there's like 10 a month and a lot of them, there's, he's just posted about a company, which is hiring for five to 10 positions. And then there's probably a lot that he's not, you know, covering like in, maybe in company, like these are mostly startup focused. So I would just say like, A, follow him, but B like, take that as a sort of, (laughs) you know, green light that there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of opportunity
0: for sure that reminds me of also climate base which we haven't shouted out yet but that's a great resource so climate base posts it's like a job board website amongst other things and posts jobs specifically in climate and that's another they have like a you can subscribe to their newsletter and they'll put up you know put out the the newest latest and greatest jobs that they're listing so yeah maybe i take back what i said about you know you can't get a paying job i think you probably could pretty quickly if you if you Followed some of these resources. Another person similar to Naeem, that I would follow, especially if you're on TikTok. Well, you should follow me. I'm at Let's Talk Carbon. Tok. Um, you can follow me on TikTok to talk about carbon and be one of my, you know, ten followers. Um, but also, I would follow Heidi Lim. So, like, if you're a young person or hey, just any person who's on uh, TikTok, her handle is, I'm pretty sure, at Heidi Heidi Lim. I'll check, but we can put that in the show notes. And she also is a great resource for helping people transition into carbon and and has like regular tips and ideas and, and tactics and suggestions. So that's another great, great resource. Man, there's so many great resources for working in climate. What are you doing? Stop sure. what you're doing now. Stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> Go sign up for these newsletters and these Slack groups and start working on climate.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does feel like there's so much opportunity and it's also like a great time to get a foothold in an industry which is only gonna grow and like become more necessary, obviously, as the years go on. So like, it it doesn't necessarily feel like, you know, you have to make some big sacrifice to do it. And, you know, circling back, that's maybe more how it felt like when we were like coming out of college, it was like low paying jobs, internships, like in the recession, it was really hard to be like, I wanna work on something I care about out of college, not a lot of work experience and like, get paid to do it like that was few and far between and it doesn't necessarily feel like that's the reality anymore so and it's it like you were saying it is like incredibly gratifying and I think um just vital to be like working on it if you if it's something you care about like contribute and you know let's all work and try to move the needle a little bit and yeah but there's people who want to help you along the way including us so
0: yeah, feel free to DM me if you if you need help. But I feel like we've we've outlined some pretty good resources there. Anything else to add?
1: Yeah, I would say the only th- the only other thing is just like with carbon removal, you do have to be ready for just a, a lot of it's very complex in the sense of trade offs, in the sense of political economy, in the sense of what motives people might have to do it. Um, It's obviously can be controversial within the environmental field, maybe less so, less and less so. But, you know, if you're working in renewable energy and you're just working to like rapidly displace high emitting like coal and natural gas, you know, generally... That's awesome too. It's totally awesome. And I think generally that's like a big win, you know, like in terms of like decarbonizing. Whereas, you know, certain elements of carbon removal, like you do have to grapple with certain questions about like funding, citing of issues, investing in other forms of uh, decarbonization, like, it's complex, and there's not an easy answer. And I think the folks that do end up focusing on it share a realization and an understanding that it, it will be necessary, and it will be necessarily at a large scale, and it's worth the investment now. But I'm just saying there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of different competing narratives. There's a lot of facts that are a little bit, you know, uncomfortable that you have to kind of sit with and, and deal with and find your own sort of compass within that. And so to me, like the flip side of all that is it's actually like sort of a benefit. And I really like, you know, focusing on something that's, you know, very, that is very um, complex and tricky in that way. And it's sort of an intellectual challenge and there's no like necessarily easy answers. So I think there's actually something that like, because it's such a hard problem, it like draws people who want to like work on that. But I don't know. I just like, I would say there's a certain open-mindedness and a certain patience you have to have to like wade into this field. But like when, but I think it's really worth it. And I think like that when we, when like a, a large group of people are able to build large scale carbon removal, like, and actually make a meaningful difference in the climate fight, it will, we'll look back and be like, yeah, it was probably good that we like were, we tolerated some of the uncertainty and tolerated some of the confusion and like made our way through it, but it's not always easy. And I just, I don't know. I feel like that's something I would like to impart. It's worth
0: saying it's, it's yeah. very complex as you point out. and. Not only that, but it's constantly evolving. So if you want to constantly learn (laughs) at your job, work in in carbon removal, because it's Mm -hmm. constantly learning. And I feel like stuff I learned in grad school already feels out of date, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Me too.
0: Um, And so I'm constantly learning. I would argue that like, yes, there are CDR experts, but they're incredibly few and far between. And Mm -hmm. probably like the 10 people you think are experts probably wouldn't consider themselves experts, you know, because it yeah. is so complex and it is so evolving. And, and just because you're an expert in like one facet, as you point out, carbon removal is like a real economic problem and it's an industry problem and it's a circular economy problem. And, you know, it's not just a science problem or it's not just a policy problem. It really needs to be tackled from all angles.
1: Amen. And I mean, there are people who I think were entering the field, so to speak, or getting curious about it At around the same time like you and i were and now we would probably call them experts you know just like straight up like if you're sitting on the fence right now listening to this like you're not that far from being an expert like there's like a lot of like building up that has to happen and it's not built yet at all (laughs) so like you know jump in and like if you're passionate about it and you're doing open air stuff you're doing air miners you're doing your own project your own startup like you will it won't take long until you're like kind of at the forefront and like yeah. You know, I feel like listen to a lot of these like podcasts or or talks with like startups that are now like funded carbon removal startups that are like widely celebrated, like their stories are often of getting into climate like just a few years prior
0: and yeah. finding
1: a pathway that has promise and, and and working hard to put together a proposal and a team that someone would be willing to throw some money behind. But like, yeah, so like if you're listening, like that's you that's you uh, in a few years so just like do it this is your
0: official invitation come on over
1: yes get into it and then you can come on the on the on the carbon removal happy hour
0: yeah come be happy with us was that happy enough ross i feel like we didn't meme enough on this one but that's um, true hopefully there were some fun tips and tricks for people hope this is more useful than our average podcast
1: it will be pure memery next week we will (laughs) we will just be degenerates and we'll do nothing but talk about various <laughs> pop culture things and make jokes about carbon removal. And it will be super, it will be super unhelpful, but fun. And we'll balance it'll between the 2 they that'll be really balanced out.
0: Indeed. Well, thanks. Asa. this has been a nice chat.
1: This has been a great chat. Thank you, Siobhan. And thanks everyone for listening. Talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please subscribe and give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, that'd be much appreciated. It helps us get our content out to more people. You can sign up for our newsletter at nori.com, follow us on social media, and we will catch you next time.